are on a series called Revive. And I hope this, uh, this particular series, if you've been listening to it and hearing it, uh, that it's provoking you for, uh, in a few areas. The first thing I hope is provoking you to get, get an expectation that God wants to do something more in us, more in you and more in the church. And we're, we're looking at those things that may be hindering him from doing more in us and just getting ourselves cleaned up and lined up so that he could do more. Are you excited about God doing something more in your life? Yes. I mean, I'm excited about God doing something more in my life, but I've got to be honest at times that there could be something in me that's blocking that from taking place and for God to, to release that. Now, it's great that we celebrated tonight being adopted by him and forgiven by him and having a place in the house, and that's good. But if I adopted someone, let's take I take this kid and adopted him, and he wasn't a part of our family, and he comes and you guys brought me into the family, and you're accepting me as a son, and it's really great. Yeah, you're part of the family. Uh, it's going to be fun, but the one thing he's going to have to do, he's going to have to start flowing with the family. Okay, he's going to have to start taking on the family values. And so he gets up in the morning on Monday morning and says, hey, wake up, it's 6.30, time to get up and get breakfast and get to school. Well, I don't do school. <laughs> you're part of this family, you do school. Okay, well, I don't, I don't I'll get up. I usually don't get up until 11 in the morning. Well, we're going to start getting up at 6, 6.30. as part of the new routine. Okay, well, I don't like my teachers. You, you don't get a chance to like or dislike your teacher. You submit to your teacher. That's what we do. And, uh, you know, so we, we, all of a sudden, they're going to work through their family values. We eat dinner at 6 o'clock every night, okay, as a family. My wife insisted on it. So he would have to come at 6 o'clock and eat with the family. And guess what? He doesn't get to reject the food, or I don't like this because that's disrespecting my wife, and that was never allowed. So he has to to eat what we eat. All of a sudden, you know, I'm adopted and I'm accepted and I got the McGregor name, but, but now I got to live like the McGregor family. And that's exactly what God's doing with us. I brought you in. I made you accepted. I brought you in the house. Now you get to act like the house. You get to reflect the house. You get to express my heart. You get to do my will. And all of a sudden, Things get a little bit more intense in this relationship. And this is what we're talking about. When that happens, God starts doing a wonderful thing. Wouldn't it be wonderful if all of a sudden we saw thousands coming to Jesus in Vancouver? Just thousands. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you saw healings you've never seen before? Things out of the book of Acts you, you thought were like absolutely impossible. Come on, that would happen if the more we get in line with God, God's able to do more in us. Paul said it this way, that we'd be ready, meet, be ready, prepared for the master's use. We want to be vessels of honor in that way. This is what we're talking about. So the second area that I hope that, that this has provoked you to be a little bit uh, willing to be reoriented to the will of God, that you can get yourself in alignment. So let's just look at this. Tonight we're going to talk about revival is not about legalism. So we want to get a proper view of holiness. As we're going to talk, holiness is going to be the requirement, but we want to get a proper view of what that looks like because all sorts of things come up in people's minds about what that might be like. I got to kind of look like, you know, some, some person out of the early 19th century or some person that doesn't look like they're having fun to be, to be holy. And I got to just, I can't have any fun. It's all condemnation of the world and don't touch anything and don't do anything and just kind of look like a, a nerd and you know, separate from everybody else and a, and a weirdo like we're in a horse and buggy like the Amish or something in, in culture, and everyone kind of looks at us as an anomaly. No, 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 we're talking about living within the world that we are called not to love, but to live in, and to what that looks like as we live holy. Well, let's look at some of the scriptures that we've talked about. Isaiah 35, verse 8. 
a thoroughfare or a highway or a road will be there, and it will be called the way of holiness. Notice the road is called the way of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it. It's reserved for those authorized to use it. We'll be talking about what authorizes you to use this path, and fools will not stray into it. Now, this path, there is a path or a highway to God. There is this place where we can get to God, but it requires something out of us. And in that path, God travels on that path to us. Remember John the Baptist said, prepare the way of the Lord and make the path straight and exalt the valleys and bring down the mountains. Well, in those days, if a great king was coming to your town, your village, you would prepare the road, ruts and everything else, so he'd have a smooth highway to get into that village. And so John the Baptist says, the Messiah is coming, you've got to prepare Lift up those valleys and bring down those mountains and straighten out those crooked places so Jesus can get to you, metaphorically speaking. And so there's a highway by which God comes to us, the same highway we come to him, and that highway is called holiness. This thing called holiness, and we'll understand it and define it tonight, is not an option. It is an absolute requirement. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, it says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, I want to have a relationship with God. Jesus said it this way, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so I want a communion, I want a fellowship with God. It's going to require this thing out of me and out of you as sons and daughters of God to live a holy life. Let's look at another scripture here, Psalm 15. This is David's heart. He said, Lord, who may be a guest in your house, now we, in your home? Now, we, we talked about this we sing about this, there's a place for me in the Father's house. There is a place for me in the Father's house, but I want relationship, I want com- fellowship in that house. I want to be able to dwell in that house. It's requiring an attitude out of me. Well, who gets to live in this house? Who may live on your holy hill? Well, it's whoever lives a blameless life. It's whoever does what is right. It's one who speaks honestly. Now, no, notice, it doesn't say, it, it, it's not those who, it, it's, it's not that, like, it's a place where those who don't have tattoos can come in. Those are nothing about something exterior like that. It doesn't say those who may sip on wine, they, they can't come in. It doesn't say those who maybe binge on Netflix series, they can't come in. No, it's not about little trivial things that sometimes we make the gospel about. It's something different. It's the, uh, blameless. It's the way I treat people. It's the way I treat God. It's the way I treat people in business, treat people in relationship, treat people in, in, in inter- interaction throughout the day. How do I treat people and how do I approach God determines if I get to be a guest in his house. Psalm 24 brings the same thought out. Who is allowed to ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Now this last September, I went with my sister, my niece, and my wife. I took my older sister on a kind of a, a retirement trip. I gave it to her as a gift to Machu Picchu. And to get to Machu Picchu, we had to take a van for two hours to a place called Sacred Valley. Then we had to take a train all the way to Aguas Calientes, a town of mineral baths at the base of this mountain. Then we had to take this bus way up into the mountains, okay? And then we got there. Each time we got there, we had to have a certain ticket. They had a ticket. Well, there's a ticket to get to the place where you get to talk with God face-to-face, where you get to God's favor on you, where God communes with you, where God acts on your behalf. There's a ticket there. And what is this ticket? Who may go up to his holy dwelling place? 
Well, it's the one, once again, whose deeds are blameless. It's the one whose motives are pure. It's the one who does not lie. It's the one who makes promises with no intention of keeping them. In other words, there's this requirement for me to get into that presence or an experience where God reveals himself. Maybe he reveals himself through his voice. Maybe he reveals himself through an encounter with his presence or he sets you free. He answers a prayer. He, he comforts you. He just he does, does something wonderful for you. Because there's a requirement in my heart for that. No, it's not perfection. The requirement is not perfection, but it has to do with this thing called heart. If I'm cheating people in business, I'm, I'm breaking contracts, but I'm I'm a born-again Christian. I pay my tithes, and I come in. I lift my hands higher than anybody lifts their hands in church. Okay? The Bible says I'm disqualified to have communion with him. I don't get his presence. What God's saying to me is you're cheating people in your business. That's what I want to deal with. Oh. If I'm lying all the time, telling tall tales. You know, I caught a fish this big, but I tell everybody I caught a fish that big. Okay? You know, I'm exaggerating, embellishing, and doing this. I, I lose the presence of God. I can't be that way. I've got to be honest with people and honest with God. If I've if I'm, if I'm just got I'm impure motives, it's about I'm, I'm doing things in this church to make myself look good, and I want to be great. If, I, if I'm doing that, and that's my drive, I might get the, I might get the praise of man, but I'm not necessarily going to get the praise of God. Bob, you're doing that for me. You're not doing that for me. You're doing it for you. It's all about you. I'll never forget one time I was in a worship service, and we were having some money problems. And I was sitting there, and I was worshiping God, and I had my hands raised. It was about 25. This was about 30 years ago, really. And, I, and I'm thinking about our bills. I'm thinking about i got to do this. i got to pay this bill. I'm going to take from this bill. I'm going to pay this bill. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice, and I'm going to take this one and this one. To worship you, oh my soul. And I, it's, I'm doing all this worship, and, and then I can pay that in two weeks. Oh, praise God, your grace. And I'm going through this, and I'm, but I'm doing math in my head. And one of the elders got up in the church and says, you know, there's someone here, they got your hands raised, you're worshiping God, but you're thinking about paying your bills while you're doing it. And God wants you to just focus on him. In other words, God says, I don't like your heart, Bob. I don't like what you're giving me. Now, I love you. You're my son. But I don't like what you're giving me right now. I don't accept your singing. That's kind of, a, kind of a harsh word. It sounds like a harsh word, but it's really a loving word because what you really need in your money is me. Okay, I'm your answer, not your clever calculations, me. <laughs> I mean, people would witness with me that God has taken care of you throughout life. All right, God takes care of us. And so I got to come with the right heart and my motive. You know, our worship team spends a lot of time preparing for worship services, and they send out the list, and people got, you know, and they got sheets to practice their instrument, and they listen to it online, and, and, and so they come together and they rehearse. But you know what? If they're not coming to God with a pure motive, and they're not coming to God that I want to glorify Him, they're not coming out of a week where they made their best attempt to love people and to do what was right, you know, if they have attitudes and they're in it for themselves, you know, they can sound great here, but it's not going to mean anything to God. I mean, really, when Isaac plays his best guitar and Mort's playing his best bass and, you know, Sam's in that drum cage doing it and on and on, Andrea's just hitting it, hitting every pitch and it's going great and a wonderful angelic voice. You think that's really impressing God? Or is it their hearts that I want to give you the best I got, God, 
Because whatever I am, whatever I have, I want to bring glory to you. And my heart is to bring glory to you. And my heart is to see these people come in and get blessed by you. I think that would be pleasing to him. That would be pleasing to him. So who gets to be there? So our premise on this series is this. Just a few things here. One is this. For God to move in us and move among us and move through us. He's going to change me. He's going to do something with us. And then he's going to minister through us to, to the world. As a believer, as a church, like City Harvest Church, or our region, the churches of Clark County, I'm meeting this Wednesday with the pastors of Clark County. If, he wants to, if we want to see God do something like this by the power of his spirit, it requires a commitment on our heart to live holy before him. So a lot of Christians... They're more concerned, how much can I get away with before I would lose my relationship with God? How far can I stretch the envelope on my liberties and stretch my behavior and stretch this before I somehow lose out? And that's my focus, just to broaden that corral as far as I can broaden it, just to live and love the world as much as I can love. How much can I before I'm in trouble with God? Well, probably that's the wrong focus. The focus should be, what is it, or who does God want me to be? As a husband, as a pastor, as a father, as a grandfather, who, who does God want me to be? And what does he want me to do to please him? And that should be the passion of my heart. So if we have an emphasis on grace, and we should have an emphasis on grace, grace actually produces something in us to lead us to the ultimate end, to be father pleasers. I want to please the Father. You know, Jesus said the Father loves me because he says the Father loves the Son because the Son always does what pleases him. A lot of emphasis on Father, but we also got to put emphasis on us that we're a part of this relationship that we want to be Father pleasers. The second premise of this series is this. It's because of our human nature to drift. And how many would say I found your, you found yourself drifting sometimes? Drifting a little bit in your heart, your imagination, and your focus, and everything else. We, we have this drift in us because we still have a, some carnality, and the world's very attractive, and it tries to attach our hearts to it, and whatever that might mean. We need to do periodic evaluations of ourselves as it relates to our obedience to and our attitude towards the uncompromising truths of Scripture. So it's important that you and I do periodic evaluations of where I am or you are in alignment to this word. Paul said it this to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and uh, verse 5. He says, he says, put yourselves to the test. That's, that's good. Sometimes it's just good to, just sometimes it's good to confront yourself. Right now I'm just trying to get in the best shape of my life. I really am. I'm 64 years old. I'm trying to get in the best shape of my life. And because I've had an injured ankle, one of the things I've got to redo is I've got to relearn to run and everything else that I've been out of it. And, you know, and I, I got done running here a few weeks ago and it was horrible. You know what I said to myself? This is what you deserve for being so heavy. Okay? You think you're here? You're not here. You confront yourself. No, it's a little hard on myself. You get back in the game tomorrow. You get back in this. You get back in this. You get back in this. In other words, I'm not going to be gentle to myself. I'm going to confront myself. Well, sometimes that's good spiritually. I mean, you know, mirror Bob, you got to love your wife more. You got to love your daughters more. You got to love your son-in-laws more. You got to love your neighbor more. I mean, you got to you guys, you just got, you're going to get in this game and you're going to do it. You understand? I understand. Okay, have a little self-talk. Examine yourself. Put yourselves to the test to see if you're in the faith. 
In other words, you're lined up to the faith. The faith is the sum total of what we believe. You're, you're committed to that. And you're obedient to that. Examine yourselves, Paul says. Now, the third thing that we said about this particular series is this, our third premise. Is this means this. This means that it's possible to have faith in Christ and the Bible, but have a heart that is not right at the moment with God. It's possible for me to be the pastor of this church, preach spiritual truths, say spiritual things, guide you into spiritual truth, and yet at that moment, my heart may not be right with God. That's very, very scary to me. Especially when you take things like Matthew 7, 21, the great scary verse. Well, did we not do this in your name and this in your name and this in your name? And Jesus says, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Now that scares me because it's possible that I could do Christian things and at the moment not have a good heart towards God. I don't like being in those places. I want to get out of those places really fast when that takes place. And I'm sure you do also. Some, one of the things we don't think about sometimes is we don't think that God gets hurt by us. You know, what's wrong with sin? One of the things that's wrong with sin, besides it being destructive to you and destructive to me, is that it breaks God's heart. I mean, I've, I've talked with parents and worked through, and I've been a parent, and I am a parent, and, you know, my daughters did something that just, you know, they, 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 they just did something that broke a commandment or, or they were disobedient in a, in a pretty drastic way. I remember, I mean, they're my daughter. I'm going to work them through this. It's, it's going to be good. But I remember I had to work through hurt. I had to first make sure it wasn't hurt out of ego. If it was true hurt and just, you know, man, I'm disappointed, but at the same time, it, it just hurt me. We ever think about we hurt God. The Bible says, grieve not the Holy Spirit. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say tick off the Holy Spirit. It says grieve the Holy Spirit. We don't think we can do that. We think that we're always doing right, and we're always doing right, and that's why we have to have periodic examinations. Peter Scazzaro, in his book, Building Emotionally Healthy Churches, he's a four-square pastor in Queens, New York. One day his wife came to him, and she says, I'm leaving the church. And he said, why are you leaving the church? Because I don't like the pastor. Well, he was the pastor. And in real life, she left the church for a while because she was kind of tired of him and things that he was ignoring in her life. And, you know, so he was doing all these things, but there was something at that moment that wasn't right in that season, wasn't right in his heart towards God. Those are, those are, those are serious things. And uh, we got to say, God, wake us up and get us always back into alignment so that I don't have that take place. Now, the good news is this, because God's covenant of love, God has a covenant, God, I can talk, because of God's covenant love towards us, what he does is that he comes to us in those times and he revives us when our heart drifts. The word for mercy in the Old Testament, or loving kindness in the Old Testament, is the Hebrew word chest, and it means loyal love. It means a, a love that comes out of the basis of covenant. And so what happens is that what we don't realize when we come into relationship with God, he actually binds himself to us. So when we drift, guess what he does? He binds himself to us. He goes after us. He chases after us. He doesn't give up on us. He goes thoroughly after us with great, great intensity. I've seen it over and over and over and over again where he's gone after those who drift. 
And they think they're walking away from a philosophy, but they're walking away from a person. They think they're drifting away from a concept, but they're drifting away from a God who they have a relationship with. And God comes back after them because he has covenant love. We call that, when he does that, we call that revival. Now, we're talking about God dwelling here, and we're talking about God showing himself to us as he dwells here in, in ways where it's like the living God on earth. And when we see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, then we got to, and there's a requirement called holiness for this, we got to make sure we have a proper understanding of, of what holiness is and what holiness is not so that we're not looking at the wrong thing. So the first thing we have to do is we have to know the difference between relationship and fellowship when we're talking about this. And so I'm going to kind of break something down. This is almost, you could talk about what happens to a Christian when they sin. And you can put this in this category. Let's just talk about our relationship with God. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, this is Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to 22. He's, he's basically established in two and a half chapters that the whole world is guilty before God. Everyone has blown it. Everyone has fallen short. Everyone has, has missed the mark. Everyone is messed up. Everyone is kind of doing their own thing and not seeking after God and full of idolatry and full of sin. Everybody's a mess. But Paul lays that out and he, and he says this, but now. He introduces this whole new day, but now. It's like you're guilty of this, 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 this. You're in trouble here, here, and here. But now. There's a new program now. But now. God has shown us a way. He's shown us a way to be made right with him. Now notice this. Without keeping the requirements of the law. Being right with him without keeping the requirements of the law seems counter to what you've been saying the last 15 minutes. Did Paul really say that? That, that we could be right with God apart without keeping the requirements to the law? Now what's that all about? Well, one of the things that you need to understand about yourself and me and the human nature is that we are natural, legalistic moralists. In other words, we want to earn something. We don't want to be the recipient of a gift. How many people have a hard time receiving gifts from people? You know, somebody gives you a gift. I don't want to receive that gift. I want to say, somebody just, I don't want no, Others say, just give it to me, give it to me. But after a while, you get kind of, you know, I want something that I deserve and something that I earn and something I can say, this is what I've done. It's humbling when you get a ton of stuff and you haven't done anything to get it. It's humbling. Well, that's what God wants. He wants you to get, take no credit, not be tempted to boast at all of what you receive in your relationship with God. It's got to be totally Him. At the end of the day, He doesn't want you and me to have any glory. He wants Himself to get all the glory. Now, was God an egotist? No. God knows if He gets the glory, we'll always look to Him. We'll always depend upon Him. So that's what He wants. He wants total dependence on Him, and He wants to get the glory in the end because it's good for us, because that's who God is. And so He doesn't want us to earn it. He wants to give it. Because He wants to give it, we can't do it by any requirements that we fulfill. We can only do it by a thing called faith. And so Paul goes on here, and he says this. As was promised, this way of having a relationship with God was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. You think the children of Israel deserved to get out of Egypt? They were just this wonderful group of people. We, we found out later as you read the story, they weren't all that wonderful. But the Passover lamb came, and the death angel didn't touch them. And if you read the story in the Old Testament, all that nation got out of the slavery of Egypt because of a lamb that was sacrificed. 
Well, that, that lamb was pointing to Jesus dying for us to free us from a life of sin and bondage and death and torment that, that we were under that Jesus is freeing us from. So that's exciting. That's exciting. It was all in the Old Testament. But going on here, this was the program, that we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Right with God. One, by one thing, placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. That's why I love, the first story I learned in the gospel was the thief on the cross. He absolutely did nothing. He didn't do one thing to get into paradise with Jesus, except one thing, remember me when you go into paradise. And he said to his other buddy, this guy has done nothing, he's a good man. And will you remember me? And he says, today, man, you're, you're going with me. What did he do? He believed. What else? That's it. And he got in. That's what it is. He doesn't, he doesn't get to go in eternity when we meet him in eternity. You know who I am? I'm the thief on the cross. <laughs> yeah, I'm a pretty cool guy, aren't I? You know, it ain't going to be there. I got in this place by the skin of my teeth. It was just a few seconds before I died here. I mean, he saved me. I mean, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for him. I mean, there's going to be no boasting in the thief on the cross. But he's going to be our brother for eternity. But he has, nothing, he has no bragging rights. And God doesn't want us to have any bragging rights. What we want to do, we want this thing called, I deserve, I deserve. We deserve nothing. I deserve nothing except the judgment of God. But everything we have now is because of what he's done. And that brings a humility in my heart. Brings a humility towards you and a humility towards God if I can embrace it. Now, let's look at this. John 1, 12. But to all who believed and accepted him. Beautiful. Once again, it's, it's about belief. You can only believe in what he's done because he's not going to let you get any of the credit. All who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right, the authority to become children of God. He gave us the right to become children of God because of our faith and who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And at that moment, we became children of God. But we just didn't become children of God of position. He also did something in us at that moment. Not with a physical birth, okay, resulting from human passion or plan. Two parents getting together, having a little honeymoon night. Out comes a baby. That's what that's talking about, by the way. But a birth... Something's created in me that comes from God. What is that thing created in me that comes from God? He puts within me his very nature. So it's not just that I get a, a, a new position as a child. I get the nature of a child of God within me, and I start having a bent and a smell and a view and a, and a, and a pull towards things that are, con that are consistent with who he is. I want to become like him. I want to reflect him because I'm born again. But at the position that I have faith, I have the right to say, I am, I am absolutely a son of God. How do you know? I put faith in Christ. Well, you have the right to do that because the Bible says I have a right to do that. So this position thing is a wonderful thing, but there's a whole other verse that tells us about another dimension of a relationship with God that we're going to call fellowship where I get to commune with God on a continual basis. And it's this verse, Psalm 66, verse 18. David said, if I have not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. 
Now, it's one thing to say, I am forgiven and God sees me as a son. It's another thing that I have an audience with him. These are audience by faith. Well, yes, but faith that results in me wanting to have a heart that he's pleased with. If I regard this in my life, I'm, I'm holding on to sin or a bad attitude, a bad motive, bad perspective, I'm angry, I've sinned, I don't I want to keep on sinning. I, I, I can't get audience at that time with God. Now, I can still be his son. So I didn't lose my salvation, but I lost my fellowship with him. All of a sudden, the line's busy. All of a sudden, my cell phone just lost, uh, you know, just lost, uh, you know, all its bars, and I'm out of, I'm out of range, and my phone won't work. I can't connect. It can get reconnected when I start being honest with him and come to him to want to change, and now we can reconnect this thing. And this is what we're talking about. We're talking about that he requires something out of me and something out of you called holiness. Now, let's talk about the difference between holiness and legalism. Remember, by nature, man is a legalist. And by nature, man wants to do something so that he can say, I earned this. It's in me, it's in you. There's just something in us where I can say, well, you know, we did this and we did that. You get the bragging rights. I see pastors, they get together and they, they just kind of get a bragging rights thing and I just see it. I, just, I smell this thing all the time. I see it in me sometimes. I said something like, that was so boasting. That was ridiculous that I said that. That was stupid. That was stupid. God made me repent to somebody. The first time I did prophetic ministry in a church where they brought me in with a team, some lady says, well, thank you, pa thank you, Pastor, for these wonderful meetings. And I said, yeah, you know, this is what we do. You know, we do this in the church, and we do this, and this is what we do when we come to a church. And, and the Lord spoke to me after I talked to this lady, and he said, what are you doing? Ministering. You're just bragging like you've been doing this your whole life. You go back to that woman and repent. I don't want to do that. It's embarrassing. You know? Do it. So I went back and said, you know, I was boasting. Really want to know. I'm kind of a rookie at this. I've really been done it. Done it one time before. I'm just kind of a newbie. You know? and so will you forgive me? I kind of got arrogant. And it was interesting that later on in the meeting, I, I prayed over her and prophesied. And she came up to me and she said, I don't care if you're a newbie. You prophesied things over me. Nobody knew that I was feeling inside. You know, no one knew about the conversations I was having. So God allowed me to be used, but he wanted to deal with my heart before he used me. So we've got to understand this thing. We want to earn. And so what happens when we come into a relationship with God, we're going to help God out. And how we're going to help God out once we come into a relationship, we're going to start making systems of holiness, policies of holiness. We're going to tell you what this is going to look like in almost every little thing that you do. We're going to kind of dictate this out to you. And we're going to present, present systems to you. So we're going to add to what God's doing to help you out. And if you don't keep it, we're going to judge you as half-hearted or not having a heart for God. Now, when I first got saved, I got saved out of a beach culture. Went to college in Washington to play football, but I was really a Southern Cal kid. And you know, I just enjoyed life. I mean, we, we were, we've been to Southern California, Manhattan Beach. I mean, we, we did life, and we enjoyed it. So I got, when I got saved, I devoured the New Testament. I went to a Catholic church, Episcopalian church, and Assembly of God church. I went to every church I could find. 
and I just loved Jesus and went to Mass and went to hear the Pentecostal preacher preach and went to prayer meetings and devoured the New Testament and God was changing me and I just ate Jesus and drank Jesus and slept Jesus. I was in love with Jesus. But I went to this small town where I taught. I got involved with this church and this church said, man, it's wonderful that this is going on. It's wonderful what the Holy Spirit's doing, but we want to put some rules on you. You can't play cards anymore. You can't you can't dance anymore. But I love to dance. I just love to, you know, I love to get out there on that dance floor. I mean, I, mean, I, can't, I can't do that anymore. I mean, no more secular music. I don't, you know, I'm not into like acid rock or something. I mean, I'm, I'm Beach Boys. Come on. Bob, 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 Baran. Come on, come on. Do you love me? Do you, you know, no, 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 no. Just life. I mean, it was like the Holy Spirit's not doing a good enough job. Of making you like Jesus, we got to add some rules on you, so that you, we make sure you become like Jesus. That are not in the Bible, by the way. They're not in the Bible, but they're on our list. All of a sudden, life was being taken from me, and because of my nature of being an abused and an absolute neglected child, I became extreme in it. And it about destroyed my Christian faith. And it about, potentially, could have really damaged my children. So let's talk about the difference between legalism and holiness. Legalism is this. It's the slavish following of rules either to gain God's favor or prevent one from sinning. And it usually has to do with abstinence. In other words, I don't taste, I don't handle, I don't see, I don't do this. I stay away from movies, I stay away from this, I stay away. No, I'm not saying an all-out license on these things. Please don't get me wrong. But it was like taboo, everything. I mean, you, could, you couldn't do anything except go to church. Go to work, go to church, go to sleep. And the only thing Christians can do, that's why a lot of Christians have a lot of weight problems, is they can eat. We can eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and eat. We don't smoke, we don't chew, but we eat, 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 eat. Okay, so, so we, we, we lost all life. Or if you were dedicated, you would do this. It gets into performance. I got to get to this meeting, this meeting. I got to do this and I got to do that. And if I do all these things, God is really pleased with me. I have perfect church attendance. God is pleased with me because of that attendance. The old brownie point thing. It creates that. So that's what happened to me in my first, really, my, my first like 10 years as a believer in Christ. Until so I was so miserable. And so many unhealthy things were taking place relationally as a result of it. I had to get a rhema about what it is to be a son by the work of Christ in my life. And that's what started leading me out of this. Holiness, what's the difference, Bob? Holiness is this. It's the pursuit. It's the pursuit of knowing and obeying God while removing anything from our lives that hinders this pursuit. So holiness is when in my pursuit, in my pursuit of God, I might discern that this thing is not helping my pursuit. It's hindering my pursuit. It's distracting my pursuit. It's something that's not adding faith to me. It's taking faith away. It's not giving me a passion for God. It's taking away my passion for God. It's not helping me to live an example of a life that will inspire someone else to be a follower of Jesus. It's hindering that from taking place, and I want to remove it. I was just talking before I came in tonight to, to two people in our church, Jose and Selvi, who are part of our Latino congregation. And I, they were our first Latino marriage in the church here. 
And they were telling me, I said, who preached today? Fabian preached. And oh, Fabian's a great guy. And, and Jose said, yeah, Fabian brought us to church. And what happened is that the two wives met each other in a class and became friends. And then the couples got together. And Jose watched Fabian. Fabian didn't preach the gospel to him. He just watched the way he treated his wife. He watched the way he lived. He watched, there's something different about Fabian. And one day he went up to Fabian and says, do you go to church? He goes, yes, I do. And he started sharing his faith, brought Jose to church, and Jose got saved, Selby got saved, they got married. They were living together out of wedlock, and they got, to, they got married in church, and, and uh, God has done a wonderful work in their life. They're leaders and are Latino. Why? Because Fabian lived a life that provoked them to say he has something. So I don't want anything in my life that would hinder that. Anything in my life that would, that, that would hinder that particular pursuit. I want to go after God, and I want to take off every weight and every sin that's tying me up so I can finish this race called knowing God and obeying God. If it gets involved in my obedience, it interferes, it's got to go. It's got to go. If it takes life from me, it's got to go. But what holiness is not is this. Holiness is not one. It's not becoming the conscience of other believers. It's because I got a conviction in an area. And there, now, we're not talking about the clear violations of the Bible, like murder. Well, you know, if you don't feel guilty about murdering, don't worry about it. Just murder, okay? No, it's not that way. Or adultery. Well, you know, some people think adultery is wrong. Some people think it's okay. You know, just whatever you think. No, we're talking about the. We're not talking about the clear violations of the Bible. But there's all sorts of other things, kind of the un, the, the gray areas, the, the the obscure areas of Scripture that gives us license to interpret and apply in life. And we get a lot of situations in culture that get to be difficult sometimes. Okay, where each Christian is able to judge themselves what they allow and not allow. And so to one, you know, they honor this, and they don't, or the others may not honor this. You know, I was, with a, I was with a vegetarian here a few weeks ago, and they were just offended at everything I was eating. I'm an absolute uh, carnivore. I mean, I'm, I, I, eat, I eat vegetables. I eat the animals that eat those vegetables, and the vegetables get into me, you know. So, but my eating was absolutely offending them. So, so it's interesting. We can get in this judgmental thing where we're doing police work of maybe what I have got developed a conviction about now I'm, I'll, I've become your conscience in that particular area. And so what this means is this. It's not making my freedom someone else's bondage. Maybe I abstain from th something. There are some things that I do abstain from. And, uh, but I'm not going to, <clears throat> for instance, I'm going to make what I abstain from become your bondage. Like because I stay away from it, you have to stay away from it. Well, I, I, if I do it, you have to do it. I'm putting my thing on you now. For instance, I actually am very, very free going into bars. I don't have a problem with alcoholism. I don't even drink alcohol. I can sit in a bar all day. There's some of you, then that would not be a free thing for you to do. You cannot do that. I mean, for various reasons, your personal life or whatever, it's not good for you. No, I can't. I'm not worried about anybody nailing me. I just know who I am, and I, and I can do it. I have a pastor friend of mine who goes into bars all the time, drinks 7-Up, and witnesses all the guys at the bars, okay? I, I can do that, but some people that wouldn't be good to do. You see what I'm saying? They can, but they can't put that law on me. They can't put that law on me. That's not necessarily holiness. It's not doing to get. In other words, I do, if I fast these things, I read the Bible this much, and I stay away from these things, and I abstain from these things, and, you know, I always get nervous when I'm saying, I've given up sugar for the year for Jesus. You know, Jesus isn't going to bless you because you give up sugar. Okay, now, getting out sugar does something to your heart 
he's going to do something, but he's doing something in response to your heart, not the fact that you gave up sugar. See what I'm trying to say here? So what we want to do is we want to get focused on becoming. I'm going to do anything I need to do to become. And there are disciplines that help me become somebody. They do, so they're good. There's some good disciplines. If I never take my wife out and never take her out for coffee and never have communication time, we're not going to do good relationally. So disciplines will lead to good things. But you don't think I do these disciplines and God just gives them to me out of brownie points. You got a gold star, so I'm going to bless you now. We fast on Wednesday. God can give a rip about our food. He gives a rip about our hearts and what fasting will do in our heart. That's what he's focused on. Four, it's not a system. Do, 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 don't, don't, don't. It's a relationship. I'm going to do this at 8. I'm going to do this at 9. I'm going to do this right before I get home from work. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. And No, it's a relationship. Sometimes you're just knocking the ball out of the park with your devotions, and sometimes you stink. But the issue is, it's a relationship. I had a friend of mine who prayed three hours a day. Three hours a day. Loved Jesus. Three hours a day. And then he kind of went down to two, went kind of one, and fizzled out. He finally went three months without praying at all. And he was in a church doing a meeting, and a woman came up to him and says, Pastor, I have a, I have a word for you. It's from the Lord. Can I give it? And he said, yes. Well, I don't know what it means, but you might know what it means. And so the Lord says this, I miss you. I miss you. It's a relationship. It's not rules. It's a relationship. It's not the result of our work. Even if you've got certain things you abstain from and certain things you focus on, certain disciplines you develop, it's, it's not a result of our work, but it's the response of his work. If you have these things that are part of your life, it's because he has provoked you in that area to move. The Lord's just put a restraint on me here. He's moved me here, and I'm doing it because he's asked me to. You know, John the Baptist had a lot of limitations on his life. His diet was horrible. He, he ate honey and grasshoppers. What else? That's it. You got some protein, you got some carbohydrates. Lived out in the desert. There was a lot of limitations on John the Baptist. He wasn't the guy you brought to a party. It wasn't like, here's a master of ceremonies tonight, MC, and it's John the Baptist. Okay, he just wouldn't fit. He just wouldn't fit. But God put those limitations on him. See, sometimes God just separates people and even ask people in a certain way to do a certain things because of what he wants to do through him. That's holiness in response to that. But that's an individual, individual discipleship package, an IDP. Here we go. That he prescribed for him. Now, there's two types of yeast that Jesus warned us against. Yeast in the Bible speaks of an evil influence. Doctrine. Team, you can get up here right now. We're going to close it right now. It means something that influences you in a very evil way. And Jesus, a teaching, a behavior, a model, example. And Jesus warned us against two things. Jesus ordered them, his disciples. He said this. He said, watch out. Beware of the Pharisees, or excuse me, beware of the yeast or the evil influence of the Pharisees and the yeast or the evil influence in the teachings of Herod. Now let's look at, let's look, these are two extremes. Over here you have, you have the Pharisees who are legalists. They created rules on top of rules. And here's the issue. They didn't really obey the core spirit of the law, but created a whole system by which if you do these things, you're right with God. 
So they did all these things. They would only walk so far on the Sabbath day and they would wash their hands and the water had to drip off their fingers in certain ways or, or they were unclean. They did all these things, but they flagrantly violated the moral law of God. But they kept all these rules. Jesus called them hypocrites, but they had a legalistic system. And I've worked in legalistic systems and they didn't smoke and they didn't chew and they didn't hang around with those that do. But you know what? I've seen it where adultery is rampant. Molestation is rampant. Selfish business greed is rampant. But they keep all these little rules. And true holiness isn't being produced. And Jesus says, beware of where you find your righteousness in a system. And he says, beware over here of the, of the yeast of Herod, who was a murderer and an adulterer, who was greedy for worldly success and worldly ambition. And if you're married to the world and it's all cool, I just marry the world and its values and its success and its pleasures and live for yourself today and forget about the law of God and live like a, a lawless person, he says, that's a bad influence. You've got to find the middle. It's called true holiness. I pursue to know God, and I remove anything from my life that would hinder me from that pursuit.